So the scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 2. It's verses 1 through 13. There's not a lot of hard words in this one, but as I was practicing, the phrasing just continued to trip me up. So if I get tripped up, we'll get through it. So please stand for the reading of God's word. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are not the ones who are slandering the noble name? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of the Lord. Before I, uh, we get into the passage of scripture today, just want to do a little memory check here. Our mission statement. And we went through that not long ago. So um, help me with our mission statement. What's the first aspect of our mission statement? Man, that was good. Well, that's okay. My wife just ratted somebody out there. I don't know who it was, but... What's the second aspect? And the third? Great. Good, 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 good. We need to keep that in mind, don't we? Um, I also I mentioned in my prayer the 55555 thing. All right? Um... And I don't know how many of you accepted that challenge. I, you know, I didn't ask for you to sign a little paper with your name on it saying, I will do this. But just wondering if anybody has anything to share regarding that. Have you taken on that challenge? And have you had an, a, has God opened a door for you in some way? And you've seen a response? Have you maybe been able to connect with a neighbor you've never connected with before? Anything like that? Anybody? Oh, oh, Irene.
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Thank you. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Love Does. Okay? Love Does. It does something. Love Does isn't something we talk about and a great feeling. Love Does. That's why our first statement is reach out in service. That's a, we build connections with people by doing that. And it begins to open doors in their lives. So thank you for sharing that. Um, you'll see the title of my message today on your outline is Prejudice Prohibited. Now, um, in the passage that Dean read... <laughs> Julie, Julie, that's my wife. Okay. Uh, in the passage that Dean read, it uses the word uh, favoritism. There is the word discrimination in there. It talks about discriminating among yourselves. If you, you read different versions of this passage, you'll also see the word partiality used. And in some translations, the word prejudice. And I've chosen the word prejudice because I think in our minds, the word prejudice carries a little more weight maybe than favoritism or partiality does. That sounds a little more serious. If you're prejudiced, that's a little more serious than maybe showing a little partiality or favoritism. Because I believe, and as we read through this passage... And, and James begins to talk about the law. And, you know, he uses things like adultery and murder. And he throws this whole idea in with these other issues. It's serious business, James is telling us. I think sometimes, though, when we think of the term prejudice, we kind of think, we kind of confine it to uh, the area of, of a racial kind of an idea. But really, it's much broader than that. And I think James makes reference to that this morning. I want to give you an instance here. This is a, an article I found. It's, this happened a number of years ago, but I think it's a good example. Joel Engel, a Los Angeles-based writer who writes frequently for the New York Times, tells him an experience he had once aboard a bus in Los Angeles. He says, Considering the large crowd, the lack of voices startled me. Only a rustle of newspapers and the groaning diesel engine broke the silence. Several well-dressed men stood in the aisle, so I assumed that all the seats were taken. But as I moved to the rear, I spotted an empty aisle seat on a double bench and wondered to myself, why is it unoccupied? The young man next to the window was breathing heavily. His face was covered with what appeared to be fibroid tumors. His long, filthy, matted hair and tattered clothing also made him unappealing. He was obviously homeless and it was easy to guess why. He sat with shoulders hunched and eyes fixed through the window. Nearly paralyzed with pity, I gave silent thanks that my young daughter wasn't with me, asking her inevitable questions about him in a non-too-discreet voice. But it was because of her that I finally sat down. The kind of man I wanted my daughter's father to be sits in a bus next to someone whose only crime is extreme ugliness. I can't pretend that I relaxed. My left shoulder and arm scrunched involuntarily. He continued to stare out the window without acknowledging my presence. The bus made one more stop before entering the freeway. Several people boarded. 
An elderly woman walked toward the rear. I waited for anyone else to offer a seat. None did. So I stood and motioned to her. Suddenly I heard, No, I don't want to sit there next to him. She said with no concern for whom might hear. I can only imagine how that comment made someone who is already hurting feel. I wonder what Jesus would have done in that situation. Prejudice. The, def, uh, the, the dictionary definition is this. Preconceived judgment or opinion. An irrational attitude of hostility directed against an individual, a group, a race, or their supposed characteristics. So the passage that was read for us and that we're going to explore today begins with the discussion of a temptation that is common, I think, to all believers. I think there are certain temptations that are constantly confronting us, and one of the strongest is that of showing partiality or favoritism or discrimination for whatever reason against certain people. And again, we're not just talking about race. See, the way we behave toward people indicates what we really, really believe about God. In 1 John 4.20, it says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So folks, if we were to bring this passage down into one brief statement, it would be this. Believers, Christ followers, Christians, however you want to, whatever you want to label you want to put on us, believers are to accept others without prejudice. Believers are to accept others without prejudice. And I know that's not an easy thing to do because, again, this whole idea of prejudice covers a lot of territory. Um, this is kind of, I'm going to throw this in for extra. Julie was playing, you know, she gets on Facebook and looks at all this stuff and sometimes I'm sitting there while she pokes on something and, you know, somebody's on a diatribe about something. And um, she was talking, uh, she was listening to someone that, um, well, we have people working in Israel, but these people had referred these, this ministry. It's a ministry among Arabs. Oh, Arabs. Just nuke them all. Save us a lot of trouble. He was kind of talking about that kind of attitude. Guess what? Jesus loves Arabs. He loves terrorist Arabs. He loves Islamic terrorists. Jesus loves them. He would like them, he wants them to be in heaven with him someday. And I will tell you, you know, when I'm in DIA or SeaTac in Seattle or Portland International and I see somebody with A veil, or I kind of have this reaction. Believers are to accept others without prejudice. So, James presents a problem here. And his first, his opening line is My brothers, as believers in our glorious 
Lord Jesus Christ. Don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality. Don't show prejudice. Christians should be the least likely to show prejudice. I mean, how has God accepted us? Well, Paul talks about that in Galatians 3.28. This is from the New Century Version. In Christ, there is no difference between Jew and Greek, slave and free person, male and female. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, New Living. In this new life, life in Christ, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. So we're all on level ground, you've heard this before, at the foot of the cross. The family of God consists of many races, cultures, languages, backgrounds, economic and education levels, and you can probably add a whole list of other things to that. Right? Right? So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 in the NIV, he talks about one God and Father of all. And in the contemporary English version, it says it this way, there is one God who is Father of all people. There we are. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Now I know that tends to be a racial, cultural kind of Thing, but it applies to a lot of other areas too. So prejudice, favoritism, partiality, discrimination have no place in the life of a believer. And then James goes on to give us a picture of prejudice. He says to favor the rich over the poor is to show discrimination. So he's given us an example here that was obviously present among the people that he was writing to. So he points to this one. He gives an illustration of a common prejudice, that of rich versus poor, and how there was favoritism shown to one over the other, or one was prejudiced against while the other was shown favoritism. And when you read the Scripture, and I'm not just talking about the passage in James, but all of the Scripture, when you read the Scripture and see what God says about those who are rich, and what He, what he says about His heart for the poor, then you understand that it is wrong for Christ's followers to show preference for the rich, or the famous, or the powerful, for that matter, over those who have less or aren't, or aren't Famous or powerful. Isn't it? Um, guess who I saw in the airport the other day? <laughs> right? In Job chapter 34, verse 19, it says this. He, referring to God, does not care how great a person may be. And he doesn't pay any more attention to the rich than the poor. He made them all. There you go. We just got put in our place. And in Psalm 82, verse 3, because this is God's heart, this is what the psalmist says, defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and impress, because they're important to God. And isn't it interesting, he points out in, in, in this passage, he's just talking about the rich and the poor. Um, uh, he says, uh, by the way, have you thought this through? Why would you favor the rich? Because um, 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? When's the last time you saw a homeless person on television slandering the name of God? When's the last time you saw a rich or famous or powerful person on television slandering the name of God? Well, maybe this morning while I was listening to the news. Yeah, James was right. So he goes on then to talk about the wrong of showing prejudice. He says, Prejudice sets one up as a judge of others. Prejudice sets one up as a judge of others. And we know that it says, Do not judge. The scripture says, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge or you too will be judged. And... And the scripture also tells us that any judge who allows judgment to be perverted because of a person's wealth or race or station in life is counted as an evil judge. If we allow any of these things to affect our view of or attitude toward someone else, we assume the role of of judges with evil thoughts. That's what I think the scripture tells us. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 2, we find this. Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about man. You know, every ancient city boasted a judge who tended to the disputes of the people. Most matters were settled by the elders among the Jewish population and synagogue leaders. But secular affairs were often heard by a judge. In the day and area of which Christ spoke, these judges would have been appointed by Herod Antipas or directly by the Roman government. And corruption often filled the ranks of the judges as they took bribes in exchange for favorable verdicts. Aren't you glad that never happens anymore? Officially, these men received the title, and I'm not, please excuse the pronunciation, Diana Gezeroth, which means the judges of prohibitions and punishments. Makes sense. But the locals gave these appointed judges different name, a different name by changing one letter in the second word. The common people called the judges, Diana Gezeloth, not Gezeroth, Gezeloth, which means robber judges. Because court decisions were not rendered justly, but instead went to the highest bidder. And folks, we can become robber judges. The one showing prejudice takes it upon himself to determine who is most important. And and James goes on to tell us that showing prejudice reveals evil thoughts. He says, judges with evil thoughts. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, all kinds of terrible things. So to show prejudice then dishonors, it humiliates, it shames, it disgraces, it insults the poor or the lowly or whoever that is that we discriminate against, showed prejudice toward. No believer is ever to make a person feel unwelcomed or of little value and worth. Uh, Is there somebody out there that God considers of less worth than you or me? 
So, showing prejudice then discriminates against people God loves. Psalm 140, verse 12. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. It's sad to think that God has to do that because we don't. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And Jesus, remember, spoke these very words about himself. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, from darkness for the prisoners. So it seems to me that those groups that were most discriminated against are the very ones that Jesus came to minister to. I think I've shared this in my Sunday school class. I'm not sure I've ever shared it from the pulpit, but um, many of you probably remember the name or read books written by Frank Peretti. Remember the name Frank Peretti? Okay. This Present Darkness, um, Piercing the Darkness. He did a a thing called uh, The Path to Rebellion. It was a an audio thing. It was a, you know, cassette tape that we don't even use anymore. So, but he talked uh, one time. As a part of that, he talks about the the system of karma in India. Showing prejudice discriminates against people God loves. He said karma is the dirt, one of the dirtiest pr- tricks that Satan has ever played on mankind. Because karma says, if in this life you don't do the right thing, if you don't live a good life, then you can come back as something disgusting. Thus, the untouchables in India. The untouchables. You know who the untouchables? They're the lowest of society. They're the most poverty-stricken of society. That's who um, Mother Teresa ministered to, the untouchables. And Peretti said, in that system of thinking, which is Hinduism, you come back as an untouchable because of your karma. You obviously did something wrong in your previous life. So now this is your punishment and we don't want to mess with what God's doing there. You deserve this punishment, so we leave you alone. That's your lot in life. Peretti says, who ministers to the untouchables? Christians do. Because we don't believe that garbage. Showing prejudice, which is what that is, discriminates against people God loves. Showing prejudice displays a dishonoring attitude. It devalues people. It assumes the worst instead of the best, the least instead of the most. In 1884, a young man died, and after the funeral, his grieving parents decided to establish a memorial to him. With that in mind, they met with Charles Eliot, president of Harvard University. Eliot received the unpretentious couple into his office and asked what he could do. After they expressed their desire to fund a memorial, Eliot impatiently said, Perhaps you have in mind a scholarship. The couple said, We were thinking of something more substantial than that, perhaps a building. In a patronizing tone, Eliot brushed aside the idea as being too expensive, and the couple departed. The next year, Eliot learned that this plain pair had gone elsewhere and established a $26 million memorial named Leland Stanford Junior University, better known today as Stanford. Another good example of how wrong it can be to judge people 
by their appearance. Oops. Showing prejudice is foolish behavior. There's a wonderful story about a Chicago bank that once asked for a letter of recommendation on a young Bostonian being considered for employment. The Boston, invest, the Boston Investment House could not say enough about the young man. That's where he'd previously worked. His father, they wrote, was a Cabot. His mother was a Lowell. Further back was a happy blend of Salton Stalls, Peabody's, and other Boston's, other of Boston's first families. His recommendation was given without hesitation. Several days later, the Chicago bank sent a note saying the information supplied was altogether adequate. And I love this response. It read, We are not contemplating using the young man for breeding purposes, just work. <laughs> oh, look at my pedigree. Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. Praise God. <laughs> That's why we have such a strong missions program in the Church of the Nazarene, because we believe that. God, we believe God so loved the world. And I'm not talking about the planet itself. Some, I think he does love his creation, but who he loves is us. Right? And because we believe that, we believe that every nation, every race, every tongue, every culture, every economic level, every education level, rich, poor, and everyone in between, Jesus loves. And oh, by the way, and this is hard for us sometimes, he loves people that do things that we have a hard, hard time with. And we see it in our culture, don't we? The following story appeared in a, a newsletter called Our America. It's written by a gentleman named Larry D. Wright. He says, Dodie Gadian, a school teacher for 13 years, decided to travel across America and see the sites she had taught about. Traveling alone in a truck with camper in tow, she launched out. One afternoon, rounding a, rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, the water pump on her truck blew up. She was tired, exasperated, scared, and alone. In spite of the traffic jam she caused, no one seemed interested in helping. Leaning up against the trailer, she prayed, Please, God, send me an angel. Preferably one with mechanical experience. <clears throat> Within four minutes, a huge Harley drove up, ridden by an enormous man sporting long black hair, a beard, and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off, and without even glancing at Doty, went to work on the truck. Within another few minutes, he flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of the disabled Chevy, and whisked the whole 56 foot rig off the freeway onto a side street where he calmly continued to work on the water pump. The intimidated school teacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she read the paralyzing words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, California. Wait, wait a minute, God. Wrong angel, right? That's what we would be thinking. As he finished the task, he finally got up the courage to say, thanks so much, and carry on a brief conversation. Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked straight 
He looked her straight in the eye and mumbled, Don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. With that, he smiled, closed the hood of the truck, straddled his Harley. With a wave, he was gone as fast as he had appeared. And he closes with this thought, Mr. Wright does. Given half a chance, people often crawl out of the boxes into which we've relegated them. So then, Paul, uh, excuse me, James gives us a warning against prejudice. He says, prejudice violates the royal law of love. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And it's interesting that James says practicing prejudice or favoritism or partiality makes one guilty of the whole, breaking the whole law. He says if you've broken one of them, you're a lawbreaker. And what I think is interesting is he seems to put it right on the same level because that's what we do with sin, don't we? Yeah. We've got high-level sins and low-level sins. And so he's talking about partiality, but in the same passage he also talks about adultery and murder. What? So why does he do that? He does it because prejudice or favoritism or partiality or discrimination or whatever you want to call it can have eternal consequences for us and others. Here's an example. In his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the gospel seriously and considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. If Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu, which is exactly what he did. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as Savior. Or at least that potential. Oh, that's eternal consequences. For that person and for us who show the prejudice. Because remember, James throws it right in there with all the other, other ugly stuff that is sin. Yeah. So what's the penalty then for prejudice? Well, James says we will face the judgment of God. Job said in chapter 13, verse 10, He, God, would surely rebuke you if you secretly showed partiality. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we are reminded, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Listen, our attitudes and our behavior will be rewarded in kind. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I want to close um, with this. It was an article. And it surprised me a little bit. It talks about um, the, the, the guy who wrote it. Um, he's a church planter from another denomination. 
Um, he talks about small churches that want to grow. And something that can inhibit that growth. And I don't read this because I think it applies to us because I'm thinking it does not apply to us. But I've never thought of this maybe as being a, maybe a, a main issue or a barrier from, from church growth. So let me share it with you. His article has to do with church growth. In it he describes why smaller churches stay that way. He calls them ingrown churches. He identifies a problem in such congregations, in, in ingrown churches. It is the problem James addresses in this passage. Ingrown churches say they want to grow and they may genuinely want to, but they want to attract people like them. In some cases, it may be only people of color or people of a certain ethnic background. Yet what they do not want are people who are high maintenance. George goes on to describe high maintenance people. They are people who may be lower middle class or upper lower class financially, dressed differently, have various emotional baggage. They may be single parents. They may be from dysfunctional families. They may be dysfunctional families. May even have mixed ethnicity. There we go. The ingrown churches make these people feel unwelcomed in various ways. Maybe the people around them showed themselves to be uneasy or uncomfortable around them. Maybe they ignore, neglect, or even shun them. They may even fail to greet them when they are there. Yet, when they stop coming, no one asks why. They justify themselves by saying they will be more comfortable with their own kind. God grant that is ne- that, that is never us. Um, uh, you know, my brain's getting older. So I repeat myself. I love Dick Newton because he said, listen, if I've told you this story before, tell me because I do that. So Dick, I have the same problem. So if I've told you this story before, don't say anything. (laughs) Um, Where we pastored on the coast, we had a, a, a very large and active Celebrate Recovery ministry. There were a lot of high-maintenance people that came. We would have... It, it fluctuated depending on the time of the year and what was happening and how the weather was, but it went anywhere from 70 to 80 to 120, okay? On, we did ours on Monday night. And um, we had a, a, a couple in there who were now married... And the husband was a pretty tough guy. He'd spent his share of time in jail. He'd had his share of fisticuffs over sometimes with the police, sometimes with people he just didn't like. Um, And he had a a real issue with his wife's ex-husband. One day, one Sunday morning, we're in you know, it's people are coming in. Most of them are seated already. The prelude music is winding down. And this gentleman somehow notices that he's sitting up probably about where Jim and Marilyn are sitting in, about that place. Our, our, uh, we had one of those old-fashioned churches that was, you know, one center aisle and two rows and went way back there in a really high-peaked roof. Anyway, and... Uh, Somehow he turned around and noticed that his wife's ex-husband was back there. He got up, called him out. Uh, I don't know how to say this graciously, but he made a sign with his hand. And he was ready to step outside and take care of business. And some of our CR leadership who kind of understood the situation got him calmed down and got him outside and 
he decided maybe he wouldn't attend the rest of service that day. That was his decision. And I got up that morning and I said, this is who God's called us to minister to. We're not used to stuff like that in church, are we? The least of these, the troubled, the dysfunctional, people with sordid histories, you name it. That's who Jesus has called us to love. So, I want you to know this may not be the last time that something like this happens in church. James says, we're not to show partiality. Listen, he was as welcome in the church as anyone else who sat there. So was the guy that he didn't want there. He hadn't figured that out yet. He was, he was moving in the right direction. That's the great thing about having them both there. They were both in church that day. Praise God. James says, no favoritism, no partiality, no discrimination, no prejudice. We need God to help us see people through his eyes. Dirty matted hair, fibroid, term- fibroid tumors, tattered, dirty clothes, or whatever it may be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I know I have this reaction sometimes right in my gut toward people you love and the reaction isn't always good. Maybe it's that guy out at the busy street corner holding up a sign. Maybe it's the person in garb that looks like they come from a country where Islam is the predominant religion. Maybe it is somebody who's dirty and smelly and can't help it because they live on the street. Maybe it's somebody who engages in activities that to me are disgusting. God help us. Help me. Help me. Help me help us to see people through your eyes, through the lens of Scripture. And Father, if there is any prejudice or discrimination or favoritism or partiality in my heart or our hearts, we ask you right now, Holy Spirit of God, cleanse that from me. Cleanse that from me. Because it's It's hard enough to love people as it is, but if we are prejudiced against them, it makes it that much harder. So, Father, if there is that in our hearts, forgive us, we pray. We repent of that. And we choose, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, to love people as you love people. Because God so loved the world. And I trust that as we love people that way, those people that we love will wonder, how do you do that? And they'll see Jesus in us. And that will open a door of opportunity for us to share 
our Jesus with them. That's our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for Thanks, Maeve. That's us.